Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Justin Baldoni. Justin is an actor, director, and activist whose TED Talk on masculinity has reached over 7 million views. In Man Enough, he expands on the contents of his TED Talk and his own journey to break down traditional definitions and expectations of masculinity. We spoke with Justin about his journey, some of the research he did in writing the book, and what it means to truly be enough. We also discussed the film that made every male baby boomer cry and which previous Harper Academic Calling guest Justin would love to have a discussion about masculinity with over tea. Joining us on our podcast right now, we have Justin Baldoni, and he's the author of Man Enough. And Justin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Good. Um, so I'm very happy to welcome you to our podcast. But as I understand it, you have a recent podcast of your own just launched. Congratulations on that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it's inspired by the book and... My work over the last, I don't know, what is it now, seven years, and really my work and progress of a life as a man, uh, it's called Man Enough, same name as the book. And it's uh, myself and the incredible uh, author, Liz Plank, also, who wrote uh, For the Love of Men. And one of my best friends in the world, Jamie Heath, who has been a man in my life who has challenged me to grow and be the best version of myself. And it's never let me really just get away with a lot of the things we get away with as men. Uh, he's been, he's been that iron sharpening iron uh, in my life. And, um, and yeah, just it's, it's, so it's really cool. So every week we have a conversation with a, a different person and we, and we go on a journey with the audience. Um, what does it mean to be a man today? What is masculinity? What does it mean to undefine masculinity? How has masculinity affected um, our guests? And we've had, you know, we had, we launched the podcast with Karamo Brown. We had Sean Mendez, Glennon Doyle. This week, we, uh, this coming week, we're, uh, Eugenio Derbez, Matthew McConaughey. Um, we have some incredible people. I brought my dad on the podcast. So my dad and I have a one-on-one chat. I brought my wife on. My wife and I have a one-on-one chat. And uh, it's really reflective of the journey that I've been on over the course of my life. And it's about asking questions and trying to decode and understand and unlearn so that we can show up not just as better men, but better humans. That's great. I love that. Um, And you also actually touched on quite a few things I want to talk to you about. So I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, One thing specifically, you literally said a question I was going to ask you. and that is, I was going to ask you about the difference between redefining and undefining masculinity, because that's something yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah, it's, I, I, talk, I talk about it in the book. You know, when I first, when I first started thinking about masculinity, I, was, I wasn't educated. I, didn't, I hadn't really read much. I just knew that there was a problem. And the thought I had um, really stemmed from this place of privilege, which is like this idea that all of us kind of grow up as a man and, and you're like, okay, what's the space that I'm going to take up in the world? 
And you're just kind of taught that you need to go take up space. You need to find your lane and then go be the best at it or go solve the problem or whatever it is. And I kind of realized that I think masculinity was an area that I wanted to go into. And my first thought was like, oh, well, I'm going to redefine masculinity (laughs) with no thinking. Like there was no thought (laughs) that was like, well, who the hell am I to redefine it? That didn't even enter my mind. It was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to redefine math. No big deal. (laughs) It's just Tuesday. I'm going to change my Instagram bio. And that once I change my Instagram bio, then that's what I'll be doing. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how you take up space and uh, build a career in this modern world. But what I learned quickly was how complex and nuanced this problem was, how many people have been working on this, the women who have paved the way for us to even be able to have this conversation. Um, and, and how deeply it affects and permeates every area of the world um, and the problems that exist in the world. However, when it came to the idea of redefining, what I learned, I would say in the last two years, was that every time I wanted to redefine or to, to expand the definition, I learned that the redefinition of something would be creating a new definition, which would inevitably leave somebody out. So really, I'd be perpetuating the same problem. Uh, somebody will be left out. And who the hell am I to redefine it? No, we need to undefine it. It needs to be undefined. It needs to be unlearned. It needs to be opened up so that anybody who identifies as a man can be a man. And it's not for any of us to question somebody's masculinity. And femininity, you cannot take somebody's femininity away you can only take somebody's masculinity away, which goes to show how fragile it is and how, uh, how much of a construct and idea it is. It's a performance. It's, a, it's not a real thing. If it was a real thing, you could never take somebody's masculinity away. It could never be questioned, right? It would be biological. Now, women, I believe, um, can, uh, because of societal pressures, lose uh, or, or have some of their femininity uh, be judged, be like, oh, maybe they have more masculinity. Maybe they're more masculine women, but it's never like they're not feminine enough. It's, you know, it's very, it's oftentimes, you know, the masculinity can drown out the femininity and, and there's a whole other uh, area we can get into there. But masculinity literally can be taken away. If somebody challenges us, we're not enough of a man. We can be, uh, we can be emasculated. There's a verb for it. <laughs> I don't know what the verb would be with femininity. I've never heard it before. Maybe there is one, but, but, but the idea that there's a verb for the thing that can happen when one's masculinity is challenged and then taken away is the exact example of the problem. And so that whole idea was like, no, 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 we got to re we got to relook at all of this. We got to undefine it because nobody's masculinity should be questioned. Um, just like nobody's femininity should be questioned because we're all an amalgamation of both masculine and feminine. We're human beings. Um, and that spectrum should exist for all of us. So, so that was really the beginning of undefining it. I didn't want to create a new box. Who the hell was I to create a new box? There's too many boxes as it, as, as it relates to masculinity that exists in the world. Anyways, it was about undefining it so that there's room for anybody and everybody to feel masculine. Um, one of the really great things about the book is that it's so personal and it stems from so much of your own personal experience, your journey, as you talk a lot about. Um, but then also, and you 
mentioned this in your answer previously, there are a lot of people who have, you know, done a lot of work, a lot of research into this, and you do include a lot of that expert opinion in your book. Um, can you talk a little bit about the research that went into this? Um, and I assume some of this you were already doing before you wrote the book anyway. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's really tricky. I wish I had the superpower uh, from the matrix of like being able to put your hand on a book and then just <laughs> absorb it. <laughs> um, I work publishing, so I, I feel you on that. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I feel like a lot of you guys who work in publishing uh, have that gift. Uh, you can read and absorb so fast. The challenge for me is, you know, I, 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 uh, I don't have that gift and time is our most valuable resource. And so for me, what it came down to is identifying kind of a group of people and books that I admired and looked up to and um, kind of extrapolating pieces and ideas from a lot of these other things. Um, these women who have been in the movement for far longer than I, like Bell Hooks as an example. I think of all of the books, I think that one's the one that rocked me to my core the most, the will to change. Um, uh, because it just starts, <laughs> it just breaks it down in such a fierce and simple way. Um, from the idea that all of us as young as young boys are forced to commit acts of soul murder, right? That psychic act of self-mutilation that she talks about. I didn't have words for these things. I knew it. I felt it in my body. I experienced it in the world, but I didn't know that there were words for it. And that's why the research was really interesting, you know, um, from Brene Brown and Shame and Clennon Doyle uh, and Untamed and her work um, to Jomo uh, Luo and, and um, you know, um, white fragility, uh, uh, you know, Robin D'Angelo, there's just so many, I, I, I'm not, I can't, I don't, I, I probably shouldn't just list all the books I listed, uh, in the book, but just so much good stuff. Jackson Katz, um, the macho paradox. I remember reading that and just a few years ago, that just shook me. Um, specifically, it was so funny how, how timely and how we keep coming back to this paradox here of, uh, and yet we're still so early talking about masculinity, but these guys have been doing this for years and years, Tony Porter and Ted Bunch and a call to men and their work and what they're doing. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's been so much work for so long, but again, all of this has been born out of the feminist movement, which is the other thing that I think it's important to note. It's like men just didn't decide to, to challenge the patriarchy. It wasn't just like our idea because it because it benefits us at the end of the day, even though it's killing us and it hurts us more than it helps us, believe it or not, which is the other reason why I wrote the book. Oh, for Liz Plank, as an example, For the Love of Men was another book that was, was super uh, important and impactful on my journey. And Liz really, in her book, because she is a researcher, um, did a lot of the research, um, interviewed interviewed thousands of men and that's how she wrote her book my book really was not a research book the most important research i did was on myself which is what i believe men need to do what i hoped to do was pepper in research and other people's ideas and thoughts that validated how i was feeling but i didn't want to write a self-help um research book i wanted to write a book that a man could read and see himself put himself into the narrative, make himself the protagonist in my story, make it his story and identify with what I was experiencing. 
because I believe that all of us men, whether we want to admit it or not, have had very similar experiences. We are not that different. The way we choose to express our masculinity is different, but we've all had very similar experiences. We understand the patriarchy, even if we refuse to call it that. We understand the, the, the ladder of what it's like to be bullied by somebody one day and want to bully somebody else the next day to make ourselves feel better. We understand what it feels like to feel like we're not enough, to be challenged, to be put down, to be, um, to be put in a box where you have to show up a certain way or you risk being made fun of or excluded. All of us know these feelings, um, the feeling of being worthwhile as a man, having our, having our physicality, our bodies, our brains, our penises, measured um, by some external <laughs> judiciary system that doesn't exist. We all can identify with that. So even if my story isn't the same as yours, you can still fit, put yourself in that narrative and find an adjacent experience in your life. And that was the purpose. That's why I wrote the book from a personal place and ideally backed it up with much smarter people than I and their research um, and their anecdotes and stories. Um, another similarity to share on a later note, um, having fathers who love field dreams. I should say that. <laughs> oh man, that movie, that end of that movie destroys me. It's so funny. I rewatched it and there's, it's just so funny. There's so many plot holes in that movie and there's so many things that are just so fantastical, but you just buy it because it's Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones at the end of the day. But when you get to that final scene, it's the movie that made every baby boomer sob men that have never cried in their life cried in that movie and remember where they were when they watched it. And when I watched that movie again, as a elder millennial, I sobbed at the end and I was watching it with my wife and I actually put this in the book. I don't know if you remember, but I was watching it with her and she didn't respond. She was like, she, I looked over, my wife cries at everything. I'm sitting here sobbing, rewatching the end of field of dreams. And she is just like, got a kind of a smirk on her face, checking her phone a little bit. And I was getting frustrated. I was like, she's my go-to person for if I, if I'm like testing one of my movies that I direct, like, does this work or not? If she cries, I know it works. She was like bored. And she's like, what? They're just playing catch. <laughs> I'm like, no, they're not. And that just speaks to the way that us men, uh, the relationships that us men have with our fathers in general is there's just this, there's just a lack of depth and a depth that we wish we could go to, but there's something preventing us from getting there, even though we have good relationships with our fathers. And most people, most men aren't fortunate enough to have the relationship that I have with my dad. And even the one that I have with my dad needs a lot of work because there's barriers that we put up. So there's, there's something about the end of that movie that just allows all of us to release, I think, um, the sweetness, the, the re redemption, forgiveness, the simplicity of a two men throwing a baseball and not saying anything. But again, that's also part of the problem. They're not saying anything. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing I wanted to say about um, the experts you interviewed for the book, I would be remiss if I didn't think that um, Peggy Orenstein who you talked to. Yeah. Uh, she has been a guest on this podcast. We talked to her for Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex. So I, I, I want to meet her. So maybe you can, I want to, I want, I, I want to send her a book. I actually think I did send her a book, but I would love to meet her. So maybe you can help. Uh, maybe Harper Collins can, can introduce us. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do with that. It, I think it's I, very 
I secretly, there was a part of me that was, and this is the boyish part of me that was like, uh, (laughs) I was hoping that, because you know you don't have you don't have to ask for permission as an author to use somebody to cite somebody else's work or to use their stuff. Um, so I was hoping that uh, you know it would get back to to Peggy and to you know to Bell Hooks, whose name isn't Bell Hooks, but uh, you know, and that one you know that one day I get to talk to them and we'd have like a tea or something and talk about all of this stuff. But that that, that hasn't happened yet. Um, but my my childish boy like. Um, dream is to you know talk about masculinity with with peggy <laughs> hey bring, bring her bring her on your phone. i know no that's our plan now that's so we are going to be making asks to a lot of these folks to chat about it which is really one of the nice things about having that platform is hopefully we'll be able to have those conversations and i'll be able to kind of fanboy out uh and really thank them because it was because of their work that i'm even able to do mine mm-hmm. absolutely um, so we haven't heard from Peggy about your book yet, <laughs> but the book has been out for a few months. Right? Um, so what, what kinds of reactions have you been getting so far? What have people been responding to? You know, it was really interesting because um, I've only released movies. Mm-hmm. I've never released a book, you know? So when, remember when Five Feet Apart came out, it was just like immediate response. We had opening weekend and it was like, boom, I could measure the sentiment and the Twitter reactions and Instagram and my phone blowing up and people calling me and swatching the videos of people crying. And then when clouds came out, so, so I'm used to that. And, and a book is so different because people sit with a book. We, you know, the, at least the way I read is like, if I'm reading something that I like, I don't want to get through it that fast. <laughs> I want to, I want to read it and then I want to put it down and then I want to come back to it. And so at first I was like, okay, all right, here we go. And then uh, there, there wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like this massive flood of responses, but what's been happening is people, you know, there's some people that, of course, that, that have read the book in a day. Those are the crazy people that can read, that they have the superpower that you have, Michael. But, but most people have been, have been um, reacting to chapters, um, and they're updating and it's been really, really sweet to see the book club starting and to get tagged and responses and what I've in the last two weeks. So the book's been out, what, two months now, really in the last two weeks is now when I'm seeing a lot of that reaction. And I've been getting so many beautiful messages from men. And my hope was always that if we could, you know, if I could touch one man and change that one man's perspective, a man that maybe wasn't thinking about this stuff. How many women does that man interact with on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis over the course of his life, right? How many other men does he interact with? Does he interact with? Does he have children? Can this set him on a journey to then read these other books that I cite, that talk about, that go deeper into it, that maybe to get him thinking differently? And if I can do that with this book, then it will be successful. It's more important than any list than any number of books sold. And that's what's been happening is that it is getting in the hands of men and it's getting in the hands of men because of the women that love them, which is also one of the sweetest things. Women have been buying this book for men in their life and the men are reading it and they're reading it and reaching out to me on their own, unprompted individually. And they have a lot to say and they have a lot to share. And it's been really, really sweet to see those messages come flooding in. And also I'm grateful for the audiobook because a lot of folks are listening to it. 
which is why it was so important for me that I did the the reading so that I could actually read it the way that I was feeling it. Um, I even, I mean, I, cry, I literally cried through the entire dedi- uh, acknowledgement section, the dedications at the end, which I know normally aren't included, but I couldn't have the book out in the world without also thanking the people that helped me get it to where it is. And I just sobbed the whole time. So if you, if you listen to the book and you get to the acknowledgements at the end, <laughs> I prepare you. It was very hard for me to get through. It's like a 10 minute acknowledgement read. Um, you know, I've, I've, I read the ebook, but now I feel like I'm going to have to download the audiobook and, you know, maybe listen to it again, but at the very least skip ahead and listen to the yeah, skip. It's really, really sweet. I, it's uh, yeah. And there's a few people that have passed away. I also dedicate, um, I dedicate the book at the end to my, to my wife's late father. And every time I talk about him, I cry because if it were not for him, and his struggle, honestly, with masculinity and alcoholism and, um, and you know, the, the, the way that he, um, in many ways, dealt with his repressed emotions and kind of broke up the family and then passed away at such an early age, there, I wouldn't be with, my wife and I wouldn't be together. And um, I'm so grateful for him because he was also a really good dad but he had his issues as all of us men do. And I felt his guidance and his support from wherever he is. And, um, and so there's like those, there's like those parts of the acknowledgements that really get me because I could feel him as I was writing the book um, and other friends who have passed and a mentor that I had um, who passed away, who really helped me a lot. And the fact there's a, there's a section of the book that's called about flexibility. And uh, yeah, my friend Marvin, who's, who's in the next world, next life, wherever he is. That's really special. Thank you for sharing. Um, So I want to close out our discussion of the book um, by asking you, and this question might tie into what we were talking about in terms of undefining. um, So the title of the book is Man Enough, and every chapter you use the word enough, something enough, something enough, et cetera, et cetera. So ultimately, what does being enough mean to you? That's a great. Uh, that's a great question. You know, in in the final chapter, I I talk about the act of surrender, and you know, being taught growing up that surrendering is perhaps the most unmanly thing that I could ever do. Um, I mean, look at you. Look at like the the samurai tradition, like the idea, like we we would we would rather kill ourselves than surrender, <laughs> than say that we lost to to be emasculated in a way to to lose our identity as soldiers as men to surrender no you'd rather end your life because that's you, you know you do that that's uh, whatever the word is um yeah so so the idea of surrendering for me was really interesting because i have to surrender to the idea that um i already am man enough and maybe i'll never feel like i am And I have to surrender the idea that I don't have all the answers, that I am going to be wrong, that I am going to offend people, that not everybody's going to like me, that I am going to be stuck in the man box, that I am going to, uh, I am going to, to perpetuate um, some of the hurt that's been done to me. I am going to make these mistakes. I'm not perfect. I have to surrender to that and to this idea that there is even such thing as man enough 
as enough because I already am. I'm perfect as I am, right? The idea of being imperfect is perfection. And so to me, being a man enough, being enough is recognizing my nobility, my worth, my value. And that it's, it's intrinsic. It's inherent in me. It was given to me at birth and I've lost it along the way when I've, when I've started comparing myself to, to others. Being enough is adhering to my own code of morals and values. It's respecting myself and others. But more than anything, it's being willing to ask myself the hard questions, to look in the mirror and to challenge myself and to say, I can be better. I can do better. Um, to be thoughtful about the way that I apologize and respond to feedback and criticism, both of others and myself. And to release and let go of all of it and realize that it's a daily battle. I'm going to have to wake up again tomorrow and fight for my enoughness and fight to surrender. That's kind of what I view as enough. It's not just something. There's not a, there's not one thing or another thing. That's not a thing that you can, it's why it's not a self-help book. It's not something that you can just like, you know, here's the 10 things you can do every day to be enough or to be man enough. It's not that it's different for everybody. And that's also what makes it unique. And you cannot compare my enoughness to yours, my man enoughness to yours, because we're all human. And we're all in it together. And that's the point of the book. It's the point of the final chapter is to surrender and to detach. And in that surrender, to be set free. Absolutely. Um, so Justin, one more question I want to ask you. Not about yeah. the book. Um, and this is a question that we like to ask all the guests on the podcast. Since um, this is primarily for teachers and their students, who was your favorite teacher? And as I was reading the book, I wondered, you, you mentioned a teacher in the book, and I was wondering if... Yeah, you know, I've had a, I've had a few favorite teachers. Um, I think you're talking about my teacher, Mrs. Reed. Um, I, and so, yeah, senior year, I had a teacher who I really felt saw me, and I never really felt seen. Um, senior year, I had a teacher. There's, so there's two teachers that are coming up for me. Mrs. Reed was one of them because she was the one that allowed me to make a movie instead of do a book report. I mean, even one time I remember for, uh, oh my God, I think that was her too. Instead of doing a book report on man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl, she let me create a song. <laughs> so my buddy and I made a rap song. Um, about, but, but, but like she was so out of the box in her thinking and I'm an out of the box person. And she really helped me feel seen because I learned differently than other kids. And uh, all of us learn differently. And if it weren't for her, I don't know if I would have become a filmmaker because I was already, I was, I was walking around with a camera everywhere. Um, but she was the one that said, no, you can do this. Why don't you take your camera and go, you know, go turn something in that has to do with the great Gatsby. Um, so she was one of them because she taught the multiple intelligences and how we all have a different way of learning. And the other would have been uh, Corey Valois, who is still a friend of mine to this day. She still teaches at the same high school. She was my geometry teacher. And as a geometry teacher, I think she was quite frustrated with me because I was a terrible student. I was just, you know, overcompensating left and right and trying to draw attention to myself and not understanding anything and didn't really care about math. I think I was a sophomore. But as a leadership teacher, when I became student body vice president my senior year, that's when she really took me under her wing. And I remember her telling me 
that I was meant to fly. And here in the small town I was in, my wings were clipped and, uh, and she really believed in me. And I think all of us need teachers that believe in us, that see us. And unfortunately, the way the school system is set up in most of the country, there's just too many kids and not enough teachers. It's too much work. Um, and it's so hard for kids to feel seen. But to any teachers out there that are listening, I would say half of your job is teaching them academics. The other half of your job is instilling in them the confidence that they are enough, that they are worthy, that they have something to give this world. And that, that being a good student isn't just about A through F and getting good grades. I think our job as society, as teachers, shouldn't be to just raise good students. It should be to raise good humans, to teach people how to be good humans and, um, and to never underestimate that value of, of helping a child feel seen. Because even those kids that seem like they have it all going on are fighting battles that we will never see. The kids that don't have anyone to talk to, who knows what's happening in their home life. They need to feel seen. All of us need to feel seen. And uh, that's the, that's how a teacher can change our lives. I love that. Justin, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for such a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you for doing this, Michael. So appreciate it. Thanks for reading the book. All right. Cheers, buddy. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.